You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. It's good to see you here. Yeah, we've, we've remodeled, but, but more importantly, we have people here. And so it's so good to see you today. And as I was shaking hands today, many of you, this is kind of the first time you've been back in over a year. And we don't want to in any way. We want you to know that this, that's been a hard, hard season for so many of us, not being able to be here together. The guilt we feel, that we want to be in church, and now we can be here. Many of you, because of vaccinations and things like that, feel comfortable. Listen, we're just glad you're here, and we want you to enjoy this time of fellowship and worship together. Amen? So I got to tell you something, it's, it's funny, uh, these fancy watches we have these days, they tell us what to do, you know, they, they boss me around pretty good. Um, and one of the things that constantly happens, Rich, I want you all to know this, is uh, my watch tells me to breathe while you guys are doing your thing. And so what that tells me is, you're taking my breath away. So isn't it awesome what we got to hear this morning and experience? It is so good. And let me tell you, you need some, some breath control when you sing, but also when you preach. So let's get going, all right? So if you have your copy of Scripture, I'm going to ask you to turn to Luke's Gospel, the 24th chapter. And as is our custom, will you stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's Word? And then I know you've been up and down quite a bit, but I'll let you sit down for a few minutes after this, okay? All right, let's hear the word of the Lord. As Luke wraps up his gospel, he says, As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And may that be so today, brothers and sisters. May God open our minds. And said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And here again, I hope this will happen today. And they worshiped him. And returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that there will be a power that fills this room, a presence, Lord, out of this world. God, we want to experience you this morning. So speak to us, Lord. If there is a veil, a cloud, a doubt, 
a darkness, Lord, that covers our hearts or our minds. Remove it with your bright sunlight and let us see today on Easter the fullness of your glory and the hope of the resurrection. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We've been on the road to Emmaus. Luke, in a masterful way, concludes his gospel by telling us the story of two of the disciples who were walking along, and they had a guest come alongside them. And if you notice in our text there in verse 36, and as they were talking about these things, well, what they were talking about were all the resurrection appearances that occurred on that first Easter Sunday. Obviously, the disciples told their story. The two disciples on the road to Emmaus explained what Jesus had done, how he had revealed himself in the breaking of the Read, how he had told them all about the Old Testament and every place therein where he was to be found. And then also we have the ladies, I'm sure, that had gone to the tomb early in the morning. They were telling their story. And so the 12 disciples were gathered there and they were just in, a midst, in the midst of disbelief. How can it be? But everybody that they knew and loved and trusted was telling them that Jesus was alive. Let me tell you something. The church, though it was born in chaos, even though Good Friday and the crucifixion was a time of darkness and sadness, we begin to see how the church can grow and do amazing things in spite of that chaos because of the resurrected Christ. The church was born in chaos, and as we look at church history, we can see epic after epic and era after era of chaos in the church. Because we are sinful creatures, because we sin and fall short of the glory of God, church history is filled with many downfalls, many, many of those moments that we know break our hearts. But listen to me, even today as we look around, as we're trying to come out of this era of COVID, this lockdown, all the things that are happening in the world, that, that when we turn on the news, we see things that break our hearts and trouble our spirits. Let me tell you, the world is a chaotic place and the church is called to minister in the midst of this chaos. But as I hope to show you today, there is a road we can travel. In fact, I'm going to say it is the road we must travel. We need to travel this road together as a church, realizing that on this road we have peace the peace of God. We have the joy, the potential to have joy in the Lord, and also we have supernatural Holy Spirit sort of power. And so today I want to tell you the road we're on, we have some things that can guide us and guard us and help us to become the church that we need to be. I know that for many people, they are looking at Calvary. They see the cross and have doubts. But today, if we will let the scriptures guide us, if we'll let the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts, we will see that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and we will follow him on the road of life. Easter Sunday changes everything. Easter Sunday changes everything because he is risen. He is risen Indeed. All right, so let's take a look now at our passage of Scripture here, and I want to point out a few things to you. As we think about the road we must travel, let's begin by talking about the way of peace. In verse 36, we do see a little bit more of that chaos. We understand that the hearts of the disciples would have been greatly troubled, and they were talking about things that they did not understand. How is it that this Messiah, this, this man that they loved so much, was nailed to a Roman cross? Their hearts were just turned upside down and inside out. We can understand and appreciate that. 
So they start hearing this news that maybe Jesus is alive, and so uh, maybe there's hope. And then all of a sudden, notice in the text, Jesus himself appears in their midst, verse 36, the very end of the verse, and he says, peace to you. Now, I know that we have to be pretty serious sometimes, especially on Easter. We have to be serious. This is a serious time. But, but there's just something funny about this because when a guy you saw nailed to a cross on Friday shows up and says, peace to you, you're probably not going to immediately feel peace. It's, it's going to shake you up. Now, listen, this isn't the first time nor the last time that Jesus has shook some people up. But notice what he says. He says peace. The first thing he says, the first word he says is peace. Many of you know that's the Hebrew word shalom. It's a greeting. But here it's more than a greeting. It's a theological statement of profundity. He is saying to us that because he is there, because death is defeated, we can have peace. What a beautiful thought. Note the words in verse 37. Startled and frightened. It seems so often this is the case. Jesus speaks, and we kind of do the opposite of what he said. Jesus says, peace, or be at peace, and the very first response we're told about from an emotional standpoint is being startled and frightened. And, and I just want to say, we understand that. We do. We realize that, that the, this situation had to have been mind-blowing. But I want to say this to you, and this is just something that the Lord has laid on my heart. You see, the devil loves it when the church is stirred up and agitated in a negative way. If we can stay in a state of being startled and frightened, we'll not be the church we're supposed to be, and we certainly won't go down the road of peace. A soul on edge can never be spiritually sharp. Worry will blunt our effectiveness, and agitation wears us out even as we accomplish nothing. Now, I wanted you to get that thought down because I believe one of the biggest hindrances to the growth of the church today is that the devil has so many of us, our enemy Satan, has so many of us in a state of agitation that we're not able to exercise our gifts and to be the kind of Christians we're called to be. I don't know if, if, if you're in this boat. I, I had a grandpa who liked to carry a pocket knife in his pocket. Any of you ever have a grandpa that carried a, a pocket knife in his pocket? And you know what those grandpas do? The grandpas who carry pocket knives in their pockets like to make sure their grandsons have pocket knives in their pockets. <laughs> and when you've got little ones this, about the age of riches and everybody's got a pocket knife in their pocket, I guarantee you things that aren't supposed to get cut on get <laughs> cut on. In fact, a little boy with a pocket knife is going to try to use that on anything and everything he can. And the problem with that is, is that when you're using a pocket knife on things it's not supposed to be used on, you're going to dull the blade. And so then if something actually needs to be cut, it's too dull to do it. I'm going to tell you, friends, one of the things that agitation and being worried all the time does, it makes you blunt. And when you are blunt spiritually, and sometimes verbally, um, what happens is, is we're not able to really speak to people. We're not able to be there for them. When you're dull in that sense, you're not spiritually active. You're not able to see the moment where God is working right in front of you. Listen, this idea of peace is important. Because I'm here to tell you, after a year of lockdown, after so many setbacks, after so many heartbreaks this year, the devil has given us plenty of reasons to be agitated. 
Our, our proverbial pocket knife may be dull, but I'm here to tell you today that if you will listen to Jesus and hear what he says, he is saying, peace, but will we listen? Well, how can I, pastor, make sure that I get on this road to peace? How can I keep from being so, uh, so blunt, so, so, so dull uh, with my edge, spiritually speaking? Well, notice in the passage in verse 39, to the agitated heart, Jesus says, touch me. Touch me. The resurrected Christ says, touch me. They thought that they had seen a spirit, verse 37, but notice in 39, he says, see my hands, my feet, that it is I myself. Listen, I believe this with all my heart. Easter Sunday is the reminder that Jesus is resurrected. He has a body. He is alive. We can feel his presence. We can one day be in his presence forever. He is very much alive. And you'll notice in the text, verse 37, verse 39, verse 40, verse 43, not that anybody's counting, but the word see pops up in all of those verses. In other words, Jesus, he could be seen, he could be touched, and he could be talked to. Listen, Jesus is here today. The way of peace is through him, and he is here for you. You are more than a body. You are also a soul. You have feelings and emotions, and God knows that. And Jesus came down into this world so that we could have abundant life. I want you to know that the way of peace, I'm not just talking about we all get to go to heaven someday. I believe that we can bring peace with us wherever we go. When we are on the road to Emmaus with Jesus, and we believe that he is the Prince of Peace, what we can be is agents of peace. And it's time for the church to stop being agitated, startled, frightened, worried, anxious, all those things. We need to get rid of that because we have the king of peace and his name is Jesus. Let me just add one more thing here. The whole story of, of, of Luke 24, it's not just about the resurrection. It's about the disciples not listening to their Lord If you look later a little more closely at verses 44 through 49, Jesus basically says, I told you so. On the road to Emmaus, when he had his two disciples, he said, I told you so. I've shown you in the scriptures. I've told you that I would die and rise again. Listen, much of our anxiety in the world today, and the reason we're not on the path of peace, it's not because we don't know what to do. It's just that we're not doing it. If we will listen to Jesus, if we will take the word of God seriously, this Word spoken, peace, can truly come into our hearts and it will be peace that passes all understanding. In a few moments, if you are lacking peace, we're going to have an invitation and we're going to invite you to come and pray with someone and ask for that peace to come into your heart through Jesus Christ our Lord. The second way we see in this passage is the way of joy. On the road to Emmaus and as we think about what it means to be on the road that we must travel, we see the way of joy. I don't need to tell you that crucifixions were nasty business. They were horrible spectacles where people would watch the, uh, the accused, often the criminal, nailed to a cross. And it wasn't just about breaking down the body. It was about crushing the spirit. The cross was an, a, truly a cruel object of torture because of not just what it did to the flesh, but how it humiliated that person. But I want you to realize that it is important for us as we come to the scriptures to realize that Jesus was not a victim. He gave himself up as an offering. That's a big difference. 
He is King of kings and Lord of lords. So you might ask, well, then why did he allow the Romans to nail him to the cross? Because he was a lamb that allowed himself to be led to the slaughter so that the sins of the world would be nailed to that cross. And those sins of yours and mine are on that cross with him. When we believe in him, he is not a victim, but he is the victor. Amen? We believe that. Jesus shows us that the way of joy comes by way of terrible pain. Notice in verse 40, he showed them his hands and his feet. What was he showing them? Well, he was showing them those scars of crucifixion. Now, verse 41 is interesting. They still believed for joy and were marveling. Now, notice this. That, that language there is kind of odd. They were not actually in that moment not believing Jesus, but it's kind of in English. We would put it this way. They couldn't believe their eyes. They were so happy that Jesus was there. It was too good to be true. But I want to tell you, the Easter message is true. Jesus gives a hurting world hope and joy. I know that the world today is offering us many paths and many roads, and they're all telling us that we can find fulfillment and actualization and the self-help we need, but we always seem to run into a wall. What Jesus is offering you, not what Jeremy is offering you, but what Jesus is offering you is joy. Joy. I know the world says, well, you know, pastor, you're talking about a road to Jesus, and aren't there many roads? And yes, human beings and philosophers and the great minds of our age and other ages have postulated and proposed ideas. But I want to ask you this question, if we're going to think about it in terms of roads. We can all do our best and find our own way to God. We can try to build a path up into the heavens. And if you just ask the people at Babel, that doesn't usually work out too well. But let me ask you this question. What if God has made a road to us? It's not about you making a road to God, but what if God took the time and the initiative and the energies to come to this world? If he has, which is what the scripture says he has done, then we have a road that leads us to not just heaven, but the hope of the gospel. And that should bring great joy. The pain of the cross brings us to this place of great joy. Death could not conquer Jesus because Jesus had conquered sin. When we look at the cross, we see all of the sins of the world being nailed to it. And that should make our hearts sing. I'm always reminded when we come together to worship that the reason we sing is because of what Jesus has done for us. We don't have any other gear, brothers and sisters, when it comes to our worship time. Sure, there are times of sorrow. Sure, there are times we have to lament the sin in our hearts and the sin in the world and the pain in the world. But ultimately, the overarching idea of worship is the joy of the Lord because of what he has done for us. And the joy of the Lord leads to a life of worship and serving. And I want to say this. If you want to make a difference in this world in the name of Jesus, sure, there are methodologies of ministry. We can learn the Romans road. We can learn how to share our faith. But Pastor Luke, my pizza buddy that was in that video, he said the other day, and I think this is right, the best witnessing tool you have is to be a person of joy. 
If you have joy and everybody else seems to have a down face, you'll probably have someone ask you, man, what is up with you? Why are you different? And then you have the opportunity to talk about the joy of the Lord. I hear people today, they're worried about everything, the economy, the state of the world. Yeah, it's all pretty chaotic, but I'm here to tell you, this is the time for our smiles. If we can get these masks off, this is the time for our smiles and our joy to change the world. The world needs the church on the road to joy. Amen? The world needs to see us excited. And I believe the church is the way of joy. Now let me clarify. Jesus is the source of all joy, but the bride of Christ is, I believe, the way. And if we are serious about growing in grace, and seeing the kingdom expand, then we need to realize that the church is not an option. It's an absolute. It's the place when we're doing it right. And not always does the church do everything right. I admit that. But listen, this is the bride of Christ. We are the family of God. And I believe if you want to know the fullness of the joy of God, it is in the context of church. Friends, I know I've had conversations with many people. I know our healthcare professionals here in Springfield and my healthcare professional friends around the world. We're, we're having conversations about what this year has done to people. There are so many people who are on the edge of anxiety or the edge of depression because of the circumstances. It has been a tough year. But I want you to know, if you are struggling, if you have really had a hard time with this thing called joy, one, you're not alone. And two, if you will humble your heart before Christ, if you will become serious about the gospel truths, I believe that that joy that has been robbed from you can be restored. Get the help you need, but don't think for a moment that the church isn't part of that solution. You experiencing the gospel here together with the saints of God may be one of the great game changers in your life. We've talked about the road of peace, the way of peace. We've talked about the way of joy, but let's just finish with this idea. The truth of the matter is, is that we are not going to be able to be salt and light in this generation, in this world, if we are not endowed with supernatural power. We are a people who believe that the very power of God that was evidenced in that first moment of resurrection is the same power that is at work here today. It is a power so great that you may have been living a life of doubt, maybe even a life that you would call agnostic or atheistic. That's fine. The power of the resurrection has the power to change everything. And we do not believe that clever lines from the sermon or beautiful notes uh, from the orchestra are going to save you. We know something more. We know the very power of Jesus is what saves us. One minute we're living our lives and thinking that we're doing just fine, and the next minute we realize that our sin is serious and that Jesus is the Savior. Friends, today that's what we're asking. We're asking you to consider this question of life and death, the question that means the most. What happens when you die, and what has Jesus done to save us? You see, the church has a supernatural mission Therefore, we need supernatural power. Jesus provides that power. He is here today. He is with us. He is moving in our midst. 
I know that, that we have doubts. We are troubled. Look at verse 38. Notice these questions. Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? Friends, those are the questions we all face in life. Those are questions that only God can answer. He wants to provide you peace and joy and power. Let's come back to the text for just a moment. Notice that Jesus, as he begins to reveal who he is, as he points them to the scriptures, we see this again in these passages. Notice verse 44. Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He's always taking them to the word. But notice that in verse 47, he speaks to them and says, you need to await the promise of the Father. He says to wait, in verse 49, until they are clothed with power from on high. This is a direct connection with the day of Pentecost. This is a direct connection with Acts chapter 2. And this is Jesus telling his people that he is going to give them the very energy they need to take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. That same power is available to the church today. It is a power so great that it can turn a bunch of doubting disciples into globe-trotting missionaries for the gospel. Gospel globetrotters. And I want to tell you, my dream for Ridgecrest is that's exactly what we will be. We will be a bunch of gospel globetrotters going out, taking the word of God everywhere we go in the power of the Holy Spirit We have that power. We, as Christians, are the wicked ones who have been radically saved. We do not pretend that we've got it all figured out. Listen, Jesus had to get a hold of me, and he has to get a hold of you too, all of us. We are all in the same predicament. We are sinners in need of salvation. And the way of supernatural power and eternal life is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. I want you to just think about this. Baseball has started again, and uh, uh, many of you love the sport. And I remember back in 2011, the St. Louis Cardinals were, were in it, and in the sixth game, man, it just looked like they were done. And I've got a confession to make. I went to bed. <laughs> you know, I was living in the St. Louis area, so you know, I, I'm not in St. Louis anymore, so I can say this and not get like literally, you know, have tomatoes thrown at me. But I, I, I didn't see it, and it was the next day. I found out what happened. You know, sometimes when we're watching life, we feel like we're in the ninth inning or whatever. I think that was actually in the eighth inning when all that happened. But um, we're in the ninth inning, we're down a bunch of runs, and there is no way that we're going to win this game. And that's how it feels in life sometimes. But I'm here to tell you, as long as we have Christ, we don't have to worry. We know that the victory is coming. I, I think about this when I, right before I moved to Missouri, uh, years ago, it was that uh, season that the, the St. Louis Rams won it all. That, that just magical season where Kurt Warner just blew the world away. And with his strong Christian faith, I mean, I, I, I wasn't living in the St. Louis area at that time, but I was a fan because Kurt Warner was impressive to me. And um, I, back in those days, I was a part of a church that was so holy. Catch this, everybody. The church was so holy that even on the Super Bowl night, we went to church. Back in the olden days, we were very holy. 
So speaking of olden days, and if you're under 30, I'm, you, you need to talk with your grandpa or your father. I use uh, an ancient device known as a VCR. <laughs> Go look that up later. And, and recorded the game. And uh, so I get home and I'm thinking, okay, I, I don't want to know who won. I want to watch it like it's in real time, you know, and the kids are like, goodness gracious, didn't this guy have a phone? You know, what's the deal? Well, anyway, I come home, I turn on the light, I look at the TV and Kurt Warner's holding the championship trophy. <laughs> Spoiler alert, that's right. It really didn't matter anymore if I saw it because I knew the end. Well, let me just say this to you. The reason I'm giving you this kind of silly illustration is because I know times can be tough. I know the difficulties surround you. But when you read this book, the Bible, when you go to the end and look at the book of Revelation, you realize that in the end, Jesus is victorious. Amen. He defeated death in the grave. And one day he will return and he will gather the saints with him. Because of the power of Jesus, we have the hope of eternal life. And I know that sometimes our lives seem to be lacking power and we need to cry out for that power to fill us. Let me draw your attention to one more verse, verse 47. And it just says this, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. As we finish our time together here this morning, there are two things I want you to consider. One, if you're not on the right road with God, Christ is the way. If you want peace and joy and power, you need to repent of your sins. That's the core of the gospel message is owning our sinfulness. And then Christ will, will come in, will swoop in and do the rest. But I also want to just mention this as well. If you look at the text there in verses 49 and following, you'll notice that they are told, the disciples, the ones who are Christ followers, are told to go to Jerusalem and wait for that power to come. But once that power comes, they don't stay in Jerusalem. They're supposed to go out. Now let me say this to you. In the Old Testament, it's very clear. The people of God were continually called to come into Jerusalem and do those great celebrations. And even at the beginning of the Christian era, they were told, go back and wait. But when Pentecost came and the Holy Spirit fell from this point forward, it is not about going to one place and that's it. We are called together as the church to worship, but the arrow is always pointed out. So Christian, let me say this, the road you need to go, it's not more in, but now that you know Jesus, I'm going to ask you, where is that arrow pointing in your life? Where is God sending you to go? How are you going to be an agent of peace and joy and power? If you have questions about what that looks like, that's what this invitation is for, and we invite you to come at this time. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.